Uh, let's take a moment to just give thanks to God as we give Him thanks for uh, the advent of Christ, the coming of Christ, as we celebrate His birth, as we celebrate His life. It's because of God came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, that we're here to celebrate the hope and the promise of Christmas. <clears throat> that unto us this day a Savior was born, Christ the Lord. And He is the Savior of mankind. For all who would trust in His grace, would all who would trust in His sacrifice, we could know the salvation of the Lord. We could be at peace with God. And what we mean by peace with God is that no longer does sin separate us from Him, but it is cleansed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And when He looks at us, He sees us as forgiven for all who've trusted Him, for all who've accepted His salvation. If you've not done that today, I want you to prayerfully consider it. As you see the story, as you see the fulfillment of the prophecies of history, you can know that the God of the universe has made a way for you to know Him for eternity through His precious Son, Jesus. Give thanks and remember. The hope and the promise of Christmas. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 2, uh, probably the most read version of the Christmas story. In chapter 2, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee in Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family in the line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for him in the lodging place. That's the beginning of the story, of course. And as we look at this story today, as we look at this scripture today, I think it's kind of important for us to remember some folks that we maybe don't typically think of. What's interesting to me about the first advent of Christ, and that word advent, of course, the first appearing, the first coming of Christ, was that it was announced and the information was given to the lowly of society, to those who are not typically recognized. And I want to share a few of those with you today. The first one is a guy named Simeon, and if you read the rest of this chapter, you'd see his story. And I think we got a picture of Simeon. We were able to get. It was very difficult. This is the only one they had of Simeon. And uh, the wonderful thing about Simeon is there was nothing really special that we know about him. He wasn't a priest. Uh, he wasn't a Levite. Uh, he wasn't a wealthy man. He was just a common, average, everyday guy. But the Bible says that he was righteous and devout. He was a man full of prayer and anticipation of the Messiah, the promised Christ who would come. And we get the picture that he daily prayed and anticipated. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit gave him special revelation that he would not die until he actually saw the Messiah. And so... In fulfillment of that word from the Holy Spirit, Simeon gets to in his late age, and he was probably in his late 80s to early 90s, to see the Messiah. The promise that he had heard since he was a child. The Christ, the Savior 
who would come. And God, again, who resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, gives this old man who has for all his life prayed and looked forward to the coming of Christ, the honor of seeing the blessed Messiah Jesus Christ. There's another lady, as, as you go to the end of chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, named Anna. And we couldn't find an exact picture of her, but we did the best that we could. And we found a painting. And this is Anna. And the Bible says that Anna was a prophet and that she had been a widow for over 80 years. So almost all of her life, she has been a widow. And the Bible says that she daily fasted and prayed in the temple. She certainly was anticipating the Christ and spent much time in prayer. And though she was low on the status pole of her culture because she's an older woman, she's a widow, and it doesn't appear that she had any children, God honors her. There's another person who, if you want to talk about the lowest on the totem pole, you would have to go to a peasant. And not only a peasant, but a girl, a peasant girl and a peasant Jewish girl, because at that time, of course, the Roman Empire ruled and they had authority over the Jewish people. So about as far down as you could go would be a peasant girl who was a Jew. But the only way that you could top that would be make her a pregnant, out of wedlock, Jewish peasant girl. And then we have Mary. God chooses to come in the form of a baby to a woman who could not, or an individual who could not probably be lowerly casted. A girl, a peasant, she's poor, and now she's pregnant. Many scholars say she's somewhere between the ages of 13 and 17 years old. We'll say 15 or 16 years old. And in that predicament, it's kind of bleak. Particularly if your family doesn't whisk you away. And in this predicament, although she's engaged or betrothed to Joseph, at first he's going to put her, instead of putting her away, he's going to try to silently break it off, off the engagement. But of course he is told by an angel that what Mary is telling you is the truth. That the child within her is from the Holy Spirit, is from God. I always felt sorry for Mary. Can you imagine trying to explain that to your parents? But mom, it's from God. I didn't do anything. I, I've always felt for her trying to explain that. And there was no explaining to friends, cousins, and relatives and townsmen. She just constantly saw the sneer. She constantly had to experience ostracism. But God chooses to use her. And Joseph a man who has to bite down hard on his lip and swallow his ego and take a woman who's pregnant, not with his child. What must it have been like to receive the promise and then in that moment to experience the birth of the Christ? In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news and great joy will be for all the people. Today, a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels praising and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing him, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. If you wanted an occupation that was... Kind of the ultimate low collar, redneck, um, blue, blue collar, redneck job. The job that probably there was always an opening for, it were, it was the shepherds. The shepherds most of the time had zero education. The vast majority of them would not have been able to read. And they were constantly camping out in the fields away from the town. So they didn't get news. They didn't really know what was happening because they were always out. And they were out with sheep. And it probably was, they were probably uh, found to be the punchline of many jokes. It's not the occupation that you dreamed that your son or, or even your daughter, but certainly your son would grow up to be. But it was kind of the opening that was usually available if you couldn't find anything else, because all there were always more sheep coming. And so they were typically just hired hands to watch, to protect, to make sure the sheep were taken to places where they could feed and drink. And they would have been the last to have been alerted for any big news. If war had broken out, they'd been the last. Matter of fact, they probably, unless you were a relative, you probably wouldn't have bothered to even go out and tell the, sh- the shepherd, the shepherds what was occurring. But God in His mercy and His grace, keeping with that theme of announcing to the least of these, announces it to the shepherds through the angel. And many of these shepherds had probably been shepherds all their lives. Many were old and they had great hope and anticipation of the Messiah, of the Christ. Maybe their hope had been dashed. Maybe it had waned as they got older, night after night, being in the fields. Under the Roman oppression, the Roman government, still experiencing the taxations and the lack of full freedom. They probably would quote the stories they had heard that when the Messiah comes, new life will be begin. We'll be delivered. We'll have a place, so to speak, at the table, at least spiritually. For you see, many of them were even ostracized by the religious order of that day because of their social status and their economic status. So that hope was all some of them had. And finally, it is announced, and it's announced by the angels to them, that the Christ has come. The promised Messiah has come. As many of them had heard since they were little children, the Messiah will come one day, and now it's announced. He's here! Come and see Him! Can you imagine what they must have felt? To be the first group that it's announced to. 
There's another group of people that I've always been greatly intrigued by. We call them the wise men or the magi. And the truth of it is, is we don't have a lot of great information about them, but we can kind of piece together some history and, and make a, uh, what scholars would say a pretty good guess at who they are. And that word magi, uh, we use the word wise men. It's really an untranslatable word uh, because it was actually a people group out of the Medes. It would be almost somewhat like we call the tribe of Levites. Some scholars date them all the way back to Genesis 12 and during the Abraham time from the land of Ur. Regardless of where they were, we, we know this, we know that there were four great empires as we look at biblical history and really history in general. There was the Babylonian Empire and what's interesting is the Magi show up on the scene there. Uh, they were advisors to the great Nebuchadnezzar. And after that becomes the Persian and Medes Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. And again, as we stated, we believe they're probably from the Medes. And uh, they certainly had a, a, a large voice during that time. And uh, they overlapped the time of Daniel uh, during that time. And matter of fact, if you go to um, chapter 5 and 6 of the book of Daniel, uh, in chap chapter 5 particularly, you see that Daniel becomes the leader of what we'd call the astronomers, the wise men. The exact word is not used right there as we stated earlier. It's not translatable, but we have good historic reason to believe that that's the group. That's the magi, so to speak. And Daniel becomes the chief leader of the magi and the chief counselor uh, to the king at that time. Uh, and then we see the next empire, the Greek empire. Uh, we see the Medes still there. We see the Magi still giving counsel there. And even on up in time to, to the point of the Roman Empire at this time. So there were people that were well known. Every great civilization or great empire used them for their wisdom and their counsel. And so it's probably not a stretch to say that, that Daniel had a great impact upon them during the time that he kind of led uh, the Magi. He led the wise men, as we see in uh, Daniel chapter 5 and 6. And so he probably shared many of the prophecies, many of the, uh, the rich history of Yahweh God. And we even have a little bit of extra biblical evidence that uh, seems to indicate uh, that this group anticipated someone who would come, a savior, a deliverer deliver type figure, as a savior to mankind, a deliverer of all mankind, and would bring peace and freedom to all the earth. So as we piece that together, we at least know they were a well-respected group of individuals who typically gave counsel to those in authority. And we know that Daniel led this group at least while he was under the, um, the throne of Nebuchadnezzar and certainly probably Darius as well, and Belshazzar, we know, appointed him in chapter 5. Chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things to point out. First of all, we don't know that there were three. Matter of fact, there were probably many, many more than three. 
If this is a, a group of people, there's probably many of them. And it's enough that it causes a stir in Jerusalem. The other thing, although that is a great movie and I thoroughly recommend it, um, just, just so no one gets disturbed, we know that they actually appeared to Jesus at his home later on. Uh, so they don't actually come in the manger. But in the context of the movie, I'm sure it's hard to get all those actors in and out. And uh, that's the way our nativity scene works anyway. Uh, but we know that. But he, they did come to Christ, and they were led by the star. And, of course, they come before Herod, and he, the Bible says that he's disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him uh, because he calls himself king. He's really under the authority and the domination of the Roman Empire, but he thinks of himself as a king. And he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes and the people, and they asked himself, where would the Messiah be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, this is fulfillment of the prophecy. This is the prophecy because this is what is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the leaders of Judah because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd, which I think is an interesting word, an interesting term that is used. By you will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, a star they had seen in the east. It led them till it came and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed with abundance with beyond measure. And entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We see that they have definitely come to worship him. And they bring with them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we know that Jesus is referred to as the great prophet, high priest, and king and as we look at these terms, we see the gold that they bring to him. If you were to go before a king, probably the most likely gift or the best gift that you could give a king was gold. When emissaries from other lands would come, if they had gold, if they had other spices and, and other minerals and things of that nature, they would include them. But gold was almost the staple that you would always want to bring if you really wanted to honor a king. And so we, sing them, we see them bringing gold to the king of kings. Then frankincense, what is that? Well, it, it was a well-known spice, so to speak, aroma that was used uh, in multiple different ways. Matter of fact, even uh, other religions would use it uh, many times. It was regarded as a, uh, as a scent to the deity. But... We also see it in the Bible. We see it in Exodus chapter 30 and Leviticus chapter 2. It was used when a Eucharistic offering was made, when an offering of thanksgiving was made before God. It was part uh, of the formula, so to speak, that was offered up to him upon the altar. And the priest would use it before the altar. He would scent the area. And the instructions were carefully given uh, in the book of Exodus chapter 30. Now, uh, that would have been a scent, it would have been an aroma that was equated with the deity. It was equated with the very high priest. And so we see the frankincense used here. And then myrrh. What's myrrh? Well, myrrh was used for multiple reasons. It was an additive to drinks. It was also used as a sedative. 
And uh, we also see it used as a preservative. It became, kind of became uh, the oil or the anointing mechanism of those who were dying. If you wanted to give them something to drink, uh, you, would add, you might add myrrh to it as they did with Jesus on the cross. Uh, it was also uh, used uh, to uh, for kind of a medicinal purpose and kind of as a sedative to give to people who were suffering. And then it was used upon the body, upon dead bodies, to anoint them to uh, delay the, the decaying process and to cover the smell. Their body, if you had enough money to do so, would be covered with myrrh. And we see that happening with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea with the body of Christ. So as we look at those gifts, we can see that they have meaning. Here's the question you have to ask today. What do you bring before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe? We've seen how Simeon and Anna and Mary presented their life, all that they had. We see that even the shepherds come bowing before him. And then we see the wise men traveling from a land far away to come and worship for the little bit of information that they have, the little bit of understanding insight that they have. But we've been given the full revelation. The first advent is coming and the second is on its way. And here's the question. Are you a wise man or woman today? Have you recognized your need for a Savior? That you are a sinner and you can't do enough good things to save yourself. You're not that good and you're never going to be. And left to your own merit, you will spend eternity away from God Almighty. Or have you bowed before Him, given Him your all, placed your gold, your frankincense, your myrrh, your life before Him and said, God, I give you my all and I trust you. I ask by grace that you save me. Not because of my merit, because of what you have done on the cross. Because you came to earth and you suffered and you died and you gave your life for me. I transfer my trust completely to you. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Make this the best Christmas ever by realizing the real promise and hope of Christmas.